Um, here we go. All right, well, uh, it's time now for uh, another show here, folks, the General Knowledge Podcast. Uh, we're going to publish this one, for, obviously, for the main show as well, so everyone's going to get a, a good taste of this one. And uh, with me today, I've got Ari Asulin from Paradigm Threat. Dot net uh, is probably Ari's fourth appearance on the show. He does a lot of the bonus content show for us, which I've done teasers for for everyone. But this one, Ari's joining me for season five, episode 13 uh, for the General Knowledge Podcast. Uh, flying solo today, Andy and Ethan are unavailable. Andy's got some family commitments. And Ethan is actually, um, funnily enough, I love these little synchronicities, Ari. Andy, uh, sorry, Ethan uh, from tottnews.com. He's our other co-host of the show. He is a guest speaker at a conference here in Australia called the Paradigm Shift Conference. And he's mm-hmm. at that conference today speaking, uh, doing a good talk today. So that's awesome. I just love that little um, – and, and, and w- w- that wasn't even intentional. If you, you're on Paradigm Threat. He's at Paradigm Shift. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was just – it just synchronously worked out that way. I love nice. that sort of stuff. Nice. <laughs> Didn't even plan it. It just happened. Because, <laughs> I mean, I teed this interview up with you like, oh, geez, like a month or so ago, even longer maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, really cool. Um, there we go. So Ari, thanks for joining me, man. Good to see you again, buddy. Like I said, fourth time we've had a chance to catch up. Always fascinating topics, man. Uh, how's things over there in the US? You're in uh, Georgia now, I believe, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Moved away from Arizona. Things are getting kind of crazy on the West Coast. Yeah, okay. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Georgia seems like such a beautiful place to live too. Um, and you're on the northern part of Georgia, is that right? Uh, Savannah. Yeah. Savannah. Savannah area, yeah. Awesome. Right. Yeah, which is close. Is that close to South Carolina? I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, it's very close. Um, just a bridge across. Uh, yeah, just nice. across the river, really. Yeah, beautiful. It's that 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 climate there. Like that's like where I am now. It's like Brisbane. It's like nice uh, humid weather. Good weather pretty much most of the year round too. So Excellent. lucky. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, good move, man. Good move. <laughs> Mind you, though, here in Australia and Brisbane right now. People don't realize this over in the States. People thinking that Australia is like hot and sunny and and just beautiful all year round. It's it's not. It's cold. Like it was. I mean, I'm on the east coast in Brisbane where it's like subtropical climate and stuff. But man, it. it the last few mornings it's been like 0.1 degrees Celsius in the morning, like nearly nearly zero Celsius every morning. It's, wow. It gets really cold here in in winter sometimes. Yeah, but like middle of the day summer. Uh, sorry, middle of the day in winter. It's like 22 degrees, sunshine, beautiful weather. Like you can just spend all day outside. It's fantastic. Um, nice. So we're kind of we're kind of blessed with that. But it does get cold here, despite what people think. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, man, uh, like I said, great to have you back on the show. Hopefully, all the members and uh, they'll get the video version of this. Uh, for the rest of uh, all the listeners, they'll um, if they want to get a video version of this and see uh, anything that Ari shares on screen share or anything we do like that, um, feel free to go and head over to the Patreon or buy me a coffee. Links will be in the show notes for those folks, and you can see everything that's going along with the video version of this. But other than that, we'll do our best to describe what we're seeing. Uh, for the rest of the listeners around the world who we've got, plenty of people uh, jumping on all the time. Um, apologies Excellent. for Speaking the... Speaking of which... Oh, sorry, sorry go for to, the, um, the share isn't available yet, so maybe you have to enable it or something. But otherwise, yeah. Oh, really? Ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. I don't see a button anywhere. Oh, really? So I'm not, uh, you, using, uh, you use Windows, don't you? Uh, Skype on Ubuntu on Linux. Oh, you're on Linux. Okay. I'm not too sure where it would be on Linux. There. On, on my uh-huh. screen... It's on the bottom row. I mean, sometimes you have to expand the Skype window, and then the little the little button appears uh, on that bottom row next to like your mic, your camera, your hang up, the chat. Then it's got screen share is next to it. Raise hand. Yeah. Does that appear if you enlarge that window at all? Now it just says more and 
Dang. Oh, well. Uh, let me just have a look at audio and video settings here. I don't think I can actually enable it for you because I'm pretty sure I've got it set up so that it's available for everyone. If not, what I'll get you to do is in the chat then on Skype, you just post a link to the page you're looking at on Paradigm Thread and I'll screen share from my end and we'll just scroll through and stuff because you'll be able to see it as well. Okay, I might be able to call you from a Windows computer though. Unless, uh, do you want to redo it? Or... Um, no, nah, it's okay. Well, I'm happy to okay, just, fine. We'll yeah. just keep going. Yeah, we'll you can go ahead and I'll, I'll just narrate that. Sounds good. Yeah, that's fine. Like I said, just put the link in, in, the, in our little chat here, where whatever page you're looking at, and I'll, I'll grab Excellent. it and screen share. That'll work for everyone. Um, okay. Yeah, other than that, um, there you go. I think we're. I'm pretty sure. Oh, how funny is I'm pretty sure that's the exact page I've got up. Yeah, it is. I've got that page up <laughs> <Right>. already. <laughs> All right, cool. So where do we start? We start at, um, let me just quickly screen share here. Pretty sure I can just share the, share the page only. All right. You can see that window? Yes, I can. Excellent. All right, All right cool. yeah. So let me just really recap what this project's about, because it sort of took me a, you know, a bit to understand why I was even doing it. Uh, like I said, I was born and raised Jewish, and I kind of quit when I was 13. I was 14, actually, one year after my bar mitzvah, one year after doing the rituals and everything yeah, for right. a year. And uh, it's not that I resented it or anything. It's just I it was always curious as to why all the adults in our world are so religious crazy, where they really just they don't know whether or not they should, you know, um, they should continue with the religion, and they're too afraid to leave it they're, because they'll be they're afraid something bad will happen if they leave it. So they just don't. They're okay with ignorance, they're okay with not knowing, yeah, that kind of thing. I just thought that was insane as a kid. So most of my life I was kind of debating religious people, and I was mostly atheist, um, as most people that you know are against religion tend to be. But um, in the end, atheism doesn't provide anything, any kind of, any kind of theology or, or worldview or, or a history even. There's no history of atheism on Earth, not really. Mm. It, kind of, it kind of came into... Uh, into fashion in the 19th century in communism, and before that, it was more or less just this a couple um, a couple of writers and, and and people that verged on atheism, but clearly, you know, stayed within the um, the religion norms, religions that either believed in the one God that sh chased all the other gods away, or or previous religions that polytheistic that believed in many gods that we now call pagan. So. My point is that none of the adults have have settled any of this in our lifetime. Here we are, 21st century. You'd think that some of these things would be settled. So um, it turns out that um, it took me forever to find the one theory that actually spells all of this stuff out, Saturnian cosmology, and I'm sure I've went over it before. But unfortunately, there's no good references for Saturnian cosmology anywhere. You got you know a couple of places like the Thunderbirds Volts Project, and um, you know people like David Pal Talbot and Wallace Thornhill. And while they're individually very um, informative, they just kind of mm. blast you with all these new theories, you can't just go and point to them and say, here's you know the maps, here's the history, here's the timelines, because they didn't do any of that stuff. They're did, just did Velikovsky touch on a bit of that, though, in his books? Exactly. So Velikovsky is a yep. reference for Saturnian, but yep. uh, he himself didn't have any um, physics basis for anything. He said, look, right. this is what people wrote down. I don't know why, but this is what they believed in. So... He couldn't figure out why anything happened, and he ended up uh, contradicting himself on many of the theories um, where he basically couldn't explain them. Um, there was one letter that he wrote to, um, i trying to remember, to, uh, uh, I forget now, but um, 
he wrote a letter um, asking why um, the sun isn't considered in in um, in Saturnian mythology. Like, why is everyone always focusing on Saturn? Yeah, and then yeah. except except Jupiter and and all that. But they never really talk about when the sun showed up, or, or rather when the planets went away. That moment in time is is overlooked by everybody. So he pointed that out, and um, and I usually reference Velikovsky as one of the good um, mainstay um, uh, what was just, uh, scholars yeah, that yeah, authors, that yeah. that um, discuss Saturnian cosmology and are able to explain it. I believed in his perspective for a long time until I finally found Anatoly Fomenko. Uh, of uh, of Russian new chronology, and Fomenko does not talk anything about ancient stuff. He starts in 11th century and talks from then to 8th, 19th. And which I which I find it. fascinating. I wonder I wonder why he chose that time to go. All right, well this is why 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 there? Why is that a starting point for him? I find that strange. Yeah, it's because he um, they had books written down in Russia that survived until now that were that old. So he said, "Here's here's our reference point. We can make timelines, maps, and everything. Cross-reference them with Western literature." And he did his new chronology project, but right. he himself um, stopped where he didn't know anything. And in ancient stuff, he admitted many times the religious people have sort of hoarded all that stuff. The Vatican has all those documents and artifacts from all over the world, and they're not going to tell us about them or anything. No. So, yeah. So I got to Fomenko, and I actually I found. Right, and I found a part in his literature where he actually talks about Velikovsky. And he said that he does respect Velikovsky's work a lot, but unfortunately, Velikovsky used Scaligerian timeline. Scaligerian timeline is the one we know, you know, ancient Rome, and, you know, we're living in the year 2000, what is it, 23 right now? Oh, so right. that's like the so, modern version of history, basically, timelines sort of thing. Exactly. Scaliger, yeah. Scal- from Joseph Scaliger, the, uh, the Jesuit who basically wrote it, and this other guy, Vesuvius, who... Uh, um, Pravius, who basically um, rewrote Scaliger's timeline um, in a, a specific way and then mass published it. So wow. um, uh, Fimienko directly targets this other guy. Preserve, uh, God, I can't remember his name. It's just good. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. Scaliger. <laughs> yeah. I've been kind of Petavius, P E T A V I S. Fimienko. Targets this guy and says, "This is as close as we got to the redaction." He says, "Redaction, major redactions happened to the timeline. Somebody just went, took it, and moved stuff around, um, and then mass published it so that the world would see Scaligerian timeline before anyone else's, you know, say their their home version. Because no one recorded timelines except for the Tsar and the king and the uh, the Russian kingdom. And when yep. the Protestants of the West came up with their own timeline, they weren't going to respect." that one and if if there is no alternate then that's the one we know today essentially so um Fimeko said that um by using the scalgerian timeline um um Velikovsky was essentially um he's just trusting um everything someone else's word on it basically right, from a certain point yeah. and therefore um, he, he, you know, he didn't consider it to be a reliable, Velikovsky to be a reliable source. So now I, I kind of got to the bottom line. I said, well, then who do you consider reliable? You know, Mr. Um, Fumienko, because I know that's why a lot of people despise this guy, because they say, oh, he seems to think he knows everything. There's, there's no really any reference points besides him. And the problem with that is because all of his reference points basically rely on Russian history, Russian chronicles, 
you have to be Russian and have access to that stuff in the Kremlin, or frankly, you'll never even know about it. So yeah, right. that comes back to the the great you know Russia phobia thing, where where the entire West has been for whatever reason um, avoiding accepting Russia's existence. It, you know, it reduced it um, from the the great uh, king, a Christian kingdom that started out as spanning Siberia and even into America, and at one point dominating all of Europe. And, and they remember it instead as a tiny little member state of the European Union. Right. So that's essentially why um, why Russia has been reduced to such a you know a place in history. Uh, so, so anyway, um, so my problem then was I don't really have anyone to trust here with the ancient stuff, and I can rely on um, uh, I can rely on um, um, Fomenko for everything from the 11th century and on. So if I'm going to build a timeline. I basically have to have some a really good source for everything before that. And the only guy that I could rely on, I've, I've been looking at a lot of Saturian cosmologists, and the only one that really thought did a good job was Jano Cook. Um, you can find his website, saturniancosmology.org. Let me grab that for you real fast. Yeah, sure. And I might have sent it to you in the past. Um, this website's kind of very different from all of the other, uh, the, all, all the other Saturnian study websites. Um, <clears throat> The other ones, for example, um, Thunderbolts Project, those guys, at one point, they um, backed away from a great deal of their own literature. They found all this stuff pointing to Saturn at one point being in the North Pole of Earth, and then, at, then they at some point they said, "Wait a sec, we're wrong about that. This um, this conclusion's wrong, and we're going to just start erasing everything on our website that suggests this polar configuration. And instead, focus entirely on." Electric universe, plasma physics, and lightning scarring, and all this kind of stuff, which they did. They sort of went away from Saturnian and into stuff that they felt safe. So it was very disappointing for a lot of people to see that, and it felt like the Saturnian um, side of this debate was constantly being intimidated into the shadows. And there was no good place for you or I to just kind of go and and start. Um, Why well, was in that recording? Okay, whatever. I don't see my my photo on there. So there's no good reference for us to go and start. You know, are studying this stuff for ourselves until I found this guy, and the only reason I trust him, I really, the only reason, is because he himself does not accept the Saturnian cosmology story of Saturn being in the North Pole mm-hmm. in a fixed position. On his website, he, he explains in great detail what he thinks happened, involving a rotation of Saturn around the Sun in a normal um, a comet or planet-style orbit, <clears throat> and occasionally brushing against the Earth. But then being recorded in history as, you know, Saturn and the North Pole causing cataclysm, being the, maybe the creator god spawning life, and all of the rest of the things. And Jano Cook essentially came up with a whole timeline from uh, 11,000 BC uh, to modern day, and the only and all of it is is essentially unbroken, which is much better than what his competition has. A lot of people say, you know, oh, I have 30,000 year timeline or or um, you know, the Bach saga has a 10,000-year-old family history, but actually none of those references have a real um, timeline that's unbroken. They only say this, these lengthy spans of numbers. And Jano Cook actually references civilizations and literature that are unbroken from, from before the Golden Age. So this guy said many times on his website, and you guys can check it out, that he's kind of surprised that people aren't putting this stuff together. It's all available. It's all kind of... All points to itself, self-referencing up the wazoo, 
and he was able to put it together without even believing in it. And that what essentially drove him to it was the, the startling connections, like I said, just so many connections pointing to the exact same thing. All of the civilizations have seen all of the same things at the same time and wrote them down in different ways, different mm. kinds of perspectives. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that's where I got my ancient timeline from. And the only real difference between him and and me and our perspective is that, yes, I do believe that Saturn was fixed in the North Pole. It wasn't orbiting. It wasn't um, an unstable phenomenon that went over the span of millions of years, mm. which his timeline actually does go back to millions of years and is compatible with uh, 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 uniformitarian theory. Um, conventional theory of billion-year-old Earth, Earth, right? Because he, because he's saying this, it just took Saturn that that much time to get that close. But but um, what the original Saturnian cosmologists believe, like um, David Talbot and so forth, uh, Wallace Thornhill, is that it was definitely fixed. And why fixed? Because the planets were much smaller; they weren't as big as they were today, and the energy was much greater. This, the energy passing through the planets was so uh, tremendous that it actually forced the planets to stay in place. So that's why um, it, it like, might seem like magnetically to... or electrically locked in there or something. Or exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I see you scrolling through it. Um, why don't you go to the very top, and I'll just kind of go really briefly through the timeline. We don't have to go through everything. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we uh, here we go. So we've got the golden age. Right. At the first. So um, so yeah, just to um, summarize, uh, the golden age was when life first spawned on Earth. And why? Because the brown dwarf Saturn, um, which was not yet part of our solar system, had finally connected to our solar system, to our sun. And uh, why does that happen? Well, um, in a uniformitarian theory, we're told that all the planets formed essentially at the same time over a big bang. This is not true. Uh, planets and solar systems in Saturnian cosmology are constantly re uh, going through lifespans, dying and, re and being reborn. The sun is the only part of a solar system that does not die or get reborn. It's just fixed because it's, it's a uh, it's a fixture of energy that's being received from all the other parts of the universe, and those the energies are essentially holding it in place. So the, the stars are um, they don't orbit like planets do. They're they're the fixed stars in the sky. That's why we don't see them you know moving between each other. That's why the constellations yep. have been the same for thousand years now. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> right. So the, the stars are fixed. And the plants are the only pieces that move around. So first stage of life, um, Joe Cook actually goes over this. And you can see in my timeline, I haven't done this yet. But this is the before Golden Age part. And what happened before the Golden Age? Well, that stuff's really murky. We don't have as many references. There wasn't much life on Earth. Um, but we are told that, that some literatures reference the time before the Golden Age as being very dark. And there was a kind of a dim uh, purple glow over the Earth. There was... Uh, all the colors were recorded down as uh, the light, or the, sorry, the color white was recorded down as blue. There was no blue in the spectrum because, essentially, the dim, the dimness, uh, made blue the highest uh, part of the, the visible spectrum at the right. time. So all these literatures that reference the same thing, like the lack of the color blue and so forth, before the golden age, are pretty convincing that that might have been the case. That there, that there was some life forms alive at that point that are capable of having memories. And when the Golden Age finally happened, they said, hey, this is what I remember. Finally, let's have the ability to write it all down. And so the Golden Age was a time when um, first the humans popped out into existence and then all the animals, right? That's what the Bible says. And the Bible is a very redacted version 
of the real story. It's got some of the facts right. One of the facts that was hardest for me to accept was the idea that um, some of these lines, like man was created in God's image, could actually be true. So first of all, who's God? Well, God's just the plasma force flowing between the collinear configuration. Yep. It's a it's a thing you see in the sky. Pure it's, energy, it's, basically. Right. It takes many. It's the eye in the sky. It takes many shapes, and we've seen literature from many civilizations try to write these shapes down and explain that's what we saw. That was God, and they created us. So, I was always wondering, well, where did the animals come from if all this stuff happened so quickly? And it took me a while to understand. Uh, I read, read some golem stories about you know how uh, humans tried to recreate life in modern times. And they would create these golems that uh, clay and so forth, and they would move around and become intelligent. They could harbor life. So all we're really talking about to create a life form in the first place is you need a uh, a, a thing to harbor the energy within. And you don't need like fingers and fingernails. You don't need all the details yet. The first life forms were very simple. Corporeal form of some sort. Of the exactly. Same. Yeah. Okay. Right. And part of it was because you didn't have to eat a lot of food. You didn't have to. Um, in the golden age, there was no death. It was very hard to die. Um, there's just so much energy flowing around that you constantly had more energy than you could possibly need. So the the life forms back then were so simple that they probably didn't have fingers. You know, they probably had really simple faces and they probably looked very similar to the giant plasma shapes that were appearing in the sky mm-hmm. naturally as the plasma frequencies and amplitude would change the, as the distance of the planets would, would shrink and grow. And as there'd be cloud cataclysms and the cataclysms would recede, all of this stuff would cause plasma shapes in the sky to suddenly form in the vacuum of energy. And in that moment, um, the plasma could actually generate at a lower level, at a scalar level on the ground, the exact same form hardened into rock or clay or or some kind of primordial um, uh, carbon substance. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, there's like... Um, well, they say, you know, like there's, what do they say? There's there's three or, or the, the old school thinking was there's three forms of matter or whatever, you know, like there was, uh, was it liquid, gas, light or whatever, whatever it was. And then, then there, there was this big debate over, well, what about plasma, you know, and right. plasma is this, this the fourth form of, of energy or whatever they say, you know what I mean? Right. Um, it's a very misunderstood, isn't it? People don't know enough about it, and yet we actually have it within our own bodies in the term in the form of blood plasma. You know what I mean? Like we have this in us. You know, like the only reason they call it blood plasma is because it's similar to the other kind of plasma. That's, that's it. right. They, they, yeah, but we also have energy in our bodies, and that essentially Absolutely. is what plasma is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so, so essentially, in the golden age, it was possible for life to spawn. And from completely from nothing, from the shape that the plasma is taking in the sky, um, it was, it, and the stories all say the same thing. The first creature to form was man, and that man was created in God's image. Well, God is just that big plasma form, like I said, and man ended up being the exact same shape. How do I know this? Because many literatures, specifically in Central America, remember the first man myth, and that's the first uh, man that um, looked very much like a, a man. And was uh, appeared in the southern hemisphere of Earth, not in the north. And um, when it broke apart, the myth goes, the Mayan myth goes, when it when it died, it created create all the first humans. Um, in um, Norse mythology, you got um, the North Norse literature suggesting that humans came from trees. Well, it's a mistranslation. They're talking about the tree of life, and the tree of life was the entire collinear configuration. So that tree of life, that plasma, 
was able to spawn, as the Norse said, humans. And so every civilization actually said the same thing. We, we're spawned from plasma. And, and so finally, why? A big clue on that one is Bruce Lee. You know, out of the blue, right? I'm taking talk about Bruce Lee. Yeah, actually, he wrote, a lot, he wrote a lot of books, right, about martial arts. And he had this conclusion. It's really simple. The animals have already figured out everything about running, jumping, clawing, everything. They have perfected this. So why don't we just copy them? Why are us humans trying to learn how to fight when we should just be copying the best fighters? So he copied animals and came up with animal styles and realized that the animal styles are the most powerful styles you're going to have. And why is that? Because animals and humans represent ideal um, electromagnetic states. It's where the plasma fills out all of the energy perfectly. And you can't have other life forms than humans in the golden age. Back then, there was no oceans. You didn't have squids. You didn't have tentacles. You didn't have anything like that. Um, everything stood on the ground. And you have to have, you know, you have to have feet or, or leg, arms and legs in order to stand on the ground. Plasma stands on the ground the exact same way. If you see plasma um, arcing through, a, like a, if you grab one of those plasma balls and you look at, you put your finger yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, it has it. like a tendril and it's just kind of, yeah, yeah, I know what right. you mean. Yep. So plasma has to stand on the ground just like a human. So we're essentially made of energy, and that's how we first were created in the first place. It wasn't by a, um, it wasn't by a, a um, intelligent being. And it wasn't by any kind of plan. And it seems like it has to be a plan. Like, all these animals and humans are so beautiful and brilliant. Well, they weren't beautiful or smart yet. Golden Age was such that they didn't have to think, and everything sort of just happened on their own. In Atlantis, you find a lot of smart people. But essentially, um, so right there in that picture, you got the northern hemisphere. So on the north, you would see Mars. That's the big, it's the small red dot. And then the white um, around it, that's Venus. Venus would take many shapes. Venus is that plasma that I'm talking about. But um, the plasma was all over the place. But Venus was like the biggest plasma around. It was the one that was turning into eight-pointed eight stars, six-pointed, you know, so forth. And the Star of David would constantly be shown, that, um, the, uh, the interwoven star that, that they use in Israel. That star also appears on the North Pole of Saturn today. Why? Because it's an ideal plasma state. Also, if you look into... Um, anti-gravity devices if you ever get that far you'll find that they're they use the star of david in their design patterns to create electromagnetic fields because they found that the star of david is an ideal pattern so i'm, I'm talking you know definitely here but you get the idea yep, yep. that they saw these ide ideal states back then and they created us essentially and that's where essentially the myths came from we it, we don't really no one understood it back then none of the priests understood it since and the only real, real reason that we can understand it now is because we finally have plasma physics as a sound um, basis yeah. science. And yeah. that only happened in the 90s. So we're right on the verge of finally understanding all this stuff. You know, it's, kind of, it's kind of cool, in my opinion. Uh, there's just going to be a great deal of resistance from the usual suspects who are going to insist that their previous translations had to be correct. You know, the yeah. Bible is correct or, or um, you know, NASA got everything right, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. So anyway... Um, why don't you grab that Southern Hemisphere one, the next one over? Yep. Um, the Southern Hemisphere was the reason why the um, Thunderbolts project, um, those people essentially uh, gave up looking at the North and stopped thinking about Saturn because they said, we don't know what to make of this on the bottom here. You got this this first, first man-looking shape. Looks like a bird sometimes. Looks like a, a, a man with a duck head or looks like a, a surfer, you know, I don't know. Um, so they, they, they didn't know what to make of this stuff, and they sort of gave up. 
but the uh, the guy that came up with um, this theory, I think his name is on there somewhere. It's okay. Um, he basically that guy did not believe in any of that Saturnian cosmology mumbo jumbo at all. He said for some reason the Earth experienced huge auroras in the past, and they're written down. So none of these guys got it right, but I realized right away what this was. This is one of my um, theories right here. Um, they're looking at the other planets. There's only so many planets in our solar system. Yep. They have to fit the rest of them into the collinear configuration. So, of course, the other the rest of them were Uranus, Neptune, and Mercury. And Mercury being you know, super hot and spilling all this lava all over the place. Uh, the Norse uh, mythology says that that southern hemisphere was too hot for anyone to stand. Um, only the people that lived there could stand it and everyone else couldn't. So essentially you get where the first dark-skinned people on this planet came from. They all came from the south, which is why they dominate most of Africa. You know, it's not like North Africa where you'd expect them to be where there's the most sun, but South Africa too, and, and, yeah. uh, and in Australia, right, Aborigines and so forth. Correct. So they're in, they're in the southern regions. So there is this whole history that's been erased by conquest because we've had the northerners of this world, the Norse, the Polish, yeah, whatever you want to call them. They're, they have many names, but they're all referencing the north of Earth. Mm-hmm. And they've been attacking and, and conquering the rest of the world. So they've erased the history that the Africans used to have. You know, They remember the, the first man myth, too. Yep. Um, so anyway, enough about the, the uh, south. Um, yep. Why don't you go to the next one? Right, yes, the yeah. Tree of Knowledge. <laughs> Right, Atlantis essentially, like I said, was on Mars, the North Pole of Mars. It was the highest place you could stand. It was where um, they, they um, found out all the technology because technology was sort of just abundant. It was, it was flowing out of the rocks. The, the gems, for example, the emeralds that they used to create their cities um, grew um, just very fast, grew faster than, than plants grow today. And they would just carve these emeralds into these giant cities and live in them. And they produce all this energy, and they would sort of act like gods towards the rest of the configuration. Anyone that wanted anything, they would go to the to the Atlantis, you know, ask them for wishes. Essentially, this is uh, where you get um, <clears throat> Wizard of Oz myth. Um, right. Okay. Wizard of Oz has has Wizard of Oz has the Golden Brick Road. Yeah. Golden Brick Road is the plasma, um, the, pla- the plasma a connection between the planets, um, which appears in many mythologies. Again, Norse mythology have um, Yggdrasil, surrounded by a giant. Um, oh God, I'm really out of date. I'm out of practice for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> um, anyway, gather it. I'll just, I'll just look at the picture here. So obviously, this this picture depicts the three stages of of um, right. the golden so age. Yeah. Exactly, golden age started very simple and it became very complicated. You know, it got a lot of people kind of um, over over uh, multiplying. You know, there's starting to be some problems with. Uh, too many people, not enough food, though yep. they don't really need food yet, but it's sort of a, there's a want for things. Now, when the Golden Age ended, yeah, nobody saw it coming. That's what interests was, me is the ending part here, yeah. <laughs> right. When it ended, there was no one saw it coming. It was completely natural. It's just like a bird being pushed out of a nest. It's because the Earth got too big. It was growing in the Golden Age, and it reached its uh, its maximum state, and the, the plant started to wobble like this, very... Um, uh, dangerously, with a lot like, of uh, like the configuration was starting to separate. Is that what you're saying? It's, yeah, it, it started to become less stable, and yeah. and uh, the energy passing through the planets was um, not as strong anymore. 
the do you have a theory? Have I might interrupt you there. Yeah. Do you have a theory, a theory on to why it, it started to finish? Like, why why would that come to an end if it seems so perfect? You know what I mean? Like, what would bring that to become unstable and to start to shift and move away? I don't, that's the thing that I've been sort of pondering for some time since we sort of started speaking. Because everything, like, it, it all sort of went, you know, it all happened. Everything came together. And then, bang, it's in this perfect unison, golden age. Life happens. And then it starts to move away. I'm just wondering, what what causes that? You know what I mean? Right. Um, <clears throat> part of the reason was um, the plants were starting to get too big. Um, they're growing on the inside. Like, Earth is hollow. The moon is hollow. And they're growing because that energy was was forcing them to grow. Just like a, a pot in a kiln. If you put a bubble in there, that, that bubble will grow and potentially destroy the pot you're making. Right. So, okay. these, um, <clears throat> so the planets could no longer contain the, that energy. Um and allow it to just flow through them. Uh, so this, the it became unstable for that reason. But also, Jupiter had become very big, and Jupiter existed between Saturn and the Sun. It was hidden behind Saturn in the North Pole. Um, and as the myths go, um, Greek mythology, for example, um, Zeus conquers... Um, I'm sorry, no. Um, uh, yeah, Zeus... Con- no, that's, that's Western. God. Uh, in Greek mythology, Saturn is Kronos, and Kronos yes, yes. A, devours his children. If you scroll a little bit further down, you'll, you'll actually get to that part. Yep, yeah, let's go um, there. Uh, yeah, I should, I should I actually just pull this up here, because I don't know why I'm not looking at my own reference. Whew. Yeah, I haven't done a podcast in a while here. <laughs> mm. I'm always doing that too. Okay. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, here right, we go, Kronos fine. devours his children. All right, right okay, so I'm looking at it. So, uh, yeah, uh, as no, Joe, Joe Cook says... 3,147 BC essentially was the year that this cataclysm started. It lasted for 100 years. The instability just kept going until it finally um, settled into a new configuration, a collinear configuration, sorry, a nonlinear configuration of planets, which looked different from the, the first one. Yep. Um, the, the difference is the, um, the first collinear configuration, the planets were... Um, okay, actually, here, here's the, the, the uh, scientific explanation. If you have a circuit board and you have capacitors that maintain the circuit board charges in between the circuits, um, then you have a stable board. But if one of those capacitors was to break, then suddenly you have too much flow in your board and another piece is receiving either twice or not enough and your your board fails. Yeah. So on the same vein, planets were acting as capacitors. That's what I meant by energy capacity. Yeah, and okay. they're capable of, of, of holding this energy until they finally broke. And what do I mean by broke? They... um. The layers of the Earth start out with one big layer, just a big chunk of rock. Um, first, it had a, a big hollow hole in the, in the center, and then it kind of the, the inside broke into pieces, forming another layer. That, that's how energy forced the matter into place on the planets. The planets would then grow bigger, and another cataclysm would happen within, and it would cause another layer to form, essentially. So this would just keep happening until the energy, when it was flowing through Earth, would no longer flow directly through it. It's starting to flow through the layers like yep. a broken capacitor. A broken capacitor no longer gives you a steady flow to the next node. It actually starts going off off the board. Yep, so okay. um, right. So, so just like a, a broken capacitor, the, the, the collinear configuration broke up, just like an array of batteries, too. I, um, a linear array of batteries will have a high amplitude. And if one of those batteries was to fail, the whole thing stops working. Yeah. So the smarter thing to do is you put the the batteries into a um, a parallel array, right? Yeah, yeah. In a parallel array, then you have more um, 
they have the same voltage but steady amplitude. I know I'm getting some of these terms wrong, but you get the idea. Yeah, I a get parallel you. array becomes much more stable. And so the second configuration was a parallel array of planets, um, Earth, Mars, Venus, Jupiter, rotating in a circle like this. Saturn is out of the picture, uh, retreated to the outer solar system, and um, and the sun is now visible for the first time. So that's where all of the Saturnian cosmologists just don't want to talk about it anymore because Saturn's out of the picture and the sun enters in. And for some reason, the sun has been associated with Christianity and, and, and has become taboo to talk about. If you're talking about the sun, then you're talking about, you know, Christ, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. So, so for, for whatever reason, these guys, I've, I've talked to them, they're very um, paranoid about viewing things that way because if that's true, if the sun really was... Uh, figured into this mythology, then, then the people who are talking about the next savior, uh, referencing the last savior, Zeus, Jupiter, they actually forgot one. So the sun was a savior. That was the la- most recent savior of Earth, the one that drove all the other planets away and kind of created the stable system that we're in now. So how could they possibly miss such an event as the sun appearing and, and fixing everything and making things stable? And the answer is, because um, Judaism still reigns pretty heavily in the world today. You find Judaism in uh, in Christianity. They all believe in the Old Testament, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Jesuits um, are devout about the Old Testament. They they are you know they are um, believe that it should be kept secret actually from from the people that they spread Christianity to. So everyone in charge of the world today is actually quite paranoid about talking about the last savior, the one that we might have missed, the Son. Because that would mean that the religion that they currently are worshiping it has a big flaw in it. So that's why I brought up Judaism. Um, yeah, that's what I was, I, I was just reading now, the Great Deluge stuff. Yeah, because we always hear about the, the Great Flood. It's always, about, it's always about a flood of some kind that happened, isn't it? As a, as a yeah. catalyst of you know the first, almost like a reset. Hey. Yeah, three Great Floods, actually. Um, after the collinear configuration broke up, the, the sheaths of Saturn that were surrounding the planets... Um, uh, the planets all crashed through that sheath. It's made of plasma and um, has uh, like hydrogen and sodium and so yeah. forth. Yeah. And um, create all the first oceans on Earth. Because that's what everyone's that's like. Oh, why? All the Great Lakes are all fresh water. You know, we, we rain fresh water. Everything's fresh water except all the oceans are salt water. And no one could ever, right. you know, modern science can't explain where, where, where salt water comes from. You know what I mean? They say, oh, it comes exactly. from in, inside the Earth or something they say, you know, like, which doesn't make sense. But anyway, yeah. You got it. So, uh, so basically what, what really started me on this quest was um, trying to figure out why, um, like, modern religions are still you know, looking at this stuff correctly, um, incorrectly. And when people started blaming certain religions, like, oh, then it was the Jesuits, it was the Jews, it was the British, I always find out that it's it's really, in different parts of history, different people were on the good side. You know, they weren't always bad people. For example, the Jews weren't always um, trying to, uh, uh, you know, enslave people or, or, you know, or have usury be imposed on people or force them to worship anything. In fact, um, in uh, the Russian Empire, um, the, the great Christian Empire, a lot of people who were later called Jews, who experienced a lot of persecution and stuff, weren't Jewish at all. And my point is that Christianity and Judaism used to be completely separate religions. They were completely at opposed to each other, whereas Christianity was polytheistic and believed in the many gods and that they're all gone and that the sun showed up. 
and that the Jews or monotheists or Jesuits or whatever you want to call them, anyone who believed that Saturn was still the most important God, that the that the uh, that the Ten Commandments need to be followed, the first commandment saying, do not have any other gods before me, essentially almost being in denial of the fact that there might be other gods, but we're not allowed to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, that that um, that Abrahamic Judeo-Christian mosaic law sort of took over the world. Um, so um, <clears throat> it wasn't the, it wasn't like the Jews. People can't blame the Jews because for the longest time the Jews actually were on the Christian side of things. They, um, uh, for example, the Khazar Empire. A right, lot of people was, look yeah, at the Khazar Arians. Empire. Yeah. Right. They look at the first time that the Eastern Jews um, ever made it into history. Um, and and um, what they're missing, though, was that the Khazars were named after Catherine. Catherine was the other name for Mother Mary. And that was the um, that was the religion that the Jews of the East actually had. It was based on uh, Christianity in all of the events of the Crimea, where uh, where they um, were. Uh, the Russians today still believe that Mother Mary was buried. Um, the Westerners dispute that, and they say no, she was buried in France or something like that. They, they pass all these movies and stuff, try to yeah. trying to Im- imply Lots that there's a great color. mystery behind it. Exactly. Yeah. When the Russians say no, it's right there in the Chronicles. Mother Mary died in the Crimea, and look at what we're doing with Crimea today with World War Three. We're trying, you know, we're fighting over it. So mm-hmm. obviously, the Crimea it factors very heavily in history. There's a big doubt there, and it yeah. might just be that. Uh, Christianity and Judaism both spawned, and Islam and Buddhism, both all, all of them spawned from this one location in the Crimea where Christianity first was formed, and and it wasn't until the Protestant, the uh, the Reformation of Western Europe that redacted all of Eastern Christianity into Protestantism, which is very different, um, and it. And the biggest difference of all is that it merges Christianity with Old Testament religion, monotheism. Whereas they used to believe in polytheism, and um, they would always say that um, Christ was, you know, just a just a person. He was never of the um, King David bloodline. The Protestants would insist, no, uh, Christ was of King David bloodline, and all all of the czars of Russia follow that bloodline. And, um, so. There was a so the merging of of the Andronicus Christ, who is a Russian character in history, um, with the King David bloodline, which is a hypothetical bloodline of the Israelites of of the monotheistic religion. He basically in that moment merged Christianity with, um, with uh, Old Testament monotheism, and that's where Judaism gets its Old Testament influence from. It wasn't always like that. So at that, um, and so in the 17th century, um, which is where I'm around in the timeline now, I'm kind of researching that. There was um, a great movement of the Protestants to wipe out anyone in the world who uh, opposed their um, their version of Christianity. Yeah. And while they uh, they attacked uh, in America, attacked in places in Africa, they had a military wing. Anytime people went to be converted, they would do it by force. And eventually, in the uh, in the 17th century, they finally attacked Russia. They, they tried to um, uh, do a counter crusade, and they declared in the Rex Bellator plan in Spain um, that all of the Christian militaries of the world would unite under a Rex Bellator. That's Latin for warrior king. 
um, what's amazing to me is that I had to go to the Spanish Wikipedia to find out this Rex Bellator plan. Um, there's an entry of it. It spells it out very simply, unifying all the Christian militaries of the world, uh, attacking the uh, eastern locations to reclaim them from the uh, the infidels under the uh, yeah, under the new crusade, although that crusade would be redacted 400 years into the past to, to put it next to the other crusades. But um, the point is, I couldn't find the plan in English Wikipedia or in any English reference at all. Wow. It seems like the English, and maybe you can correct me here, are completely paranoid about discovering this Rex Bellator plan in Spain. Because if they understood what it really meant, they would understand why Christianity is the way it is today. Why everyone's going to church, why we're constantly going to war, why war seems to be married into Christianity in some perverse level. It's because of this plan. It was all spelled out in Spain, and we're still following it today. We're just, like I said, um, the Protestants have the nature of hiding most of the important details of their religion from their from their base, which is the reason why Protestantism is so fractured. There isn't even a, a center of it anywhere. Um, it's also the reason why the Catholic Church was able to come out of nowhere into existence in the 16th century and redact all of the Eastern Orthodox history, religion, um, yeah, just into it. it took it over it, yeah. And just it. invent, yeah, and just invent this location called Rome, and pushing it back two thousand years and saying it all happened here in this tiny little village location in Rome. Yeah, right. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of jumped around, but um, but, just but, just yeah, before the, uh, we move on back to the timeline, I just had a, a thought because when you were mentioning how we 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 spoke about Crimea and how it's all happening there, and you right. know, and and where we're heading now is this this transhumanistic. You know, they want to. You know, the UN and all that sort of stuff want to remove religion from everything everywhere. It's all about, you know, basically pushing atheism, all that sort of stuff. It's all about the removal of all that sort of thing. And if there's this, you know, this battle for this Crimean area, you know, it's, it seems, seems to be more like a battle for for history in a sense. So they can then control, exactly. they can control history. That's what it's all about. History is controlled and, and written by the winners. You know what I mean? So... If they can, if they can seize and control this area and remove that area and its history from 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 the timeline, then they'll then can, they'll can start to control their own timeline a little bit more. You know, that's that's, still, that's what it all breaks down to, isn't it? They, they seem to do it all over the place. They, yeah, every war is always about, you know, they they seem to go in and destroy, you know, artifacts and and uh, religious things in certain areas, and they they cover yeah. up parts of history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, if they control that, then they can push these things back 300 years and no one can say yeah, boo because that's we don't exactly have, you know, right. there's no artifacts to prove it. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, why don't you scroll down to uh, the Rex Blatter plan, 1661 CE. It's, it's uh, in modern times, only because that's where I'm doing uh, my research and there's a lot of new stuff that I've recently discovered, which I think is very interesting. I, I know we've covered some of this before. If you do yeah. want me to go over it again, we can. No, no, that's okay. Um, again, all if uh, we'll skip through some of this because we wanted to get to where you're right now. But if the members or anyone or anyone listening wants to uh, go back and read through this, um, there is an absolute treasure trove of work that he's put together here, folks. So make sure you go back and check it out. Yeah. Um, covering lots of different things, uh, lots of imagery, everything there. People, it's uh, fascinating stuff. Here we go. Am I getting close? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah well, um, it's probably another quarter down the page, I would say. 12th century, 18. Right. So Fremenko says the crucifixion happened in the 12th century, and, you know, there's so much evidence saying that's the case. 
the 13th century, we see the Russian oh, yeah, the empire. The Tatarian Empire, yep, right, there we Tartarian go. The Empire that everyone loves talking about these days. It's just they, been yep. totally erased from history, but there's still a lot mm. of it left. Yeah, yeah, um, we've, and we've done shows on that before, talking about the Tatarians yeah, yeah. and stuff, yep. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So there's more, yeah, there's more information there, folks, if you want to get into that bit there. Here we go, 15th century. Yeah, they eventually attack Western Europe. Western Europe, a lot of them, they flee to America, 1492, Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that don't flee, they sort of get stuck um, being uh, being punished heavily by the East for being so loose and having all the brothels and having disease and everything. Um, a lot of people were, were accusing the Russians at the time of spreading those diseases, and that's where you get some of your early pogoms against Jews, because those, like I said, at the time, the only people to consider Jews at the time were Russian, the ones who were part of the empire, the ones who were in charge of money and, and food and stuff, and they weren't doing it in any nefarious way. They're doing it to prevent disease, you know, and to to create an empire in the first place. And so it was a lot of work. So mm, anyway, so down just right, a little so bit. A little bit more. Under. Okay, so we're in the 16th now. Yeah, the Jesuits I do blame for a lot of the world's misery. They seem to just have had bad intentions all the time. And they're yeah, behind funny, a lot of yeah. massacres and just wipeouts. The Cathars, which share the same name as the Khazars, were, there was another example of breakaway Christian remnants that were annihilated by fire in, in Western Europe. Just terrible history. And the Christians yeah. don't like talking much about this aspect of their religion. A lot of Christians mind they like to pretend that they're pluralistic and non-violent um, religion. Yeah. And it's only because their history of the violent parts of, have been hidden from them, you know? Yeah. In fact, I do believe that there's a good deal of warfare in Christ's life. I don't think he died in 33 years old. I think he survived the crucifixion like many literature uh, people in the 19th century suggested that the um, the swoon theory that Christ you know, went on to form the empire and he fought many battles and he actually took on wives and stuff like that. So if the Christians were told this part of their history, they might actually be aware of the military danger of Christianity and why maybe we're still doing crusades now in all those, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, and so forth. Those guys call us crusaders. You know, they know what's going on. So anyway, uh, almost um, there. Can, go ahead. You can ask questions. Yeah, I was just going to mention the, the you talk about the, the Gregorian calendar as well, which is the calendar we right. use today, uh, yeah. making a slight adjustment to the year lengths and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's so, so many they, things like pe- people, if you know, if people just considered things like, you know, the days of the week, the months of the year, why the year length is what it is, and all this sort of stuff, right. you know, if you actually gave some more thought to this and asked some questions about it and where it all comes from, it's it's, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, a lot of this is covered in the work that you do as well. Right. Some of these images are hard to ignore. You know, it's like, where did that image come from? Why is it like that over mm-hmm. and over? Yeah. And we see this just on this um, picture here with these coins, you've got. Again, we see this image of the crescent moon and the and the star above. You know, that's on that's on so many flags that we see of certain na- um, nations too. Um, yep. You know, um, it was originally a Russian symbol, and it, it wasn't until the Russia the empire split between Istanbul and Moscow, which uh, you can see right there on the page, a war started that a war broke out for three hundred years between Russia and Turkey, and um, Russia stopped using that symbol, and Turkey took it up. So that's why yeah. you only see that symbol now in. Muslim countries. Correct. That's right. Yeah, it's a very heavily used by Muslim countries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So this is where the deep state 17th century really takes shape. They, they start all these wars. Uh, they got a religion that under their control, uh, Protestant Christianity under the Jesuits, and they finally target people that are really hard to convert, like the Asians. And why? Because the Asians were the original Christians uh, before the, um, the religion evolved into its complicated modern Protestant version. 
And so these Protestants coming back to Russia and Asia and saying, hey, you know, uh, Christ is the Lord of the creator God of the universe. These guys said, no, Christ is our first czar empire of the Russian horde. Um, so you're not going to get us with that. And that for that reason, Buddhists do not believe, do not worship Jesus. They had to go a different angle and they went and found the biggest guy in Hindu religion, uh, Buddha, and and basically held him on high. And, and they got the, the, the mass uh, ignorance, ignorant, uh, illiterate people of Asia to start worshiping Buddha essentially as a creator god. Uh, in modern time, the Asians got control over their religion. But if you look at the last hundred years of China, you'll see that they, they had to go through many civil wars, lose a lot of people just to hold on to their their you know deepest, oldest religious values. And there was many Jews in China at the time trying to supplant them, causing communist religions, or sorry, revolutions to you know to to form you know in opposition to their their attempts. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, it, the sixteen sixty in okay. England is is the part that I'm very interested in because what happened in England in the 17th century is just so heinous. Um, they, they, the British have been through so much, and sure, a lot of the rest of the world has too, but it happened there first. You know, the British had the first civil war. They had the first republic, in my opinion. Uh, when they cut Charles's head off, Charles first head off, they said, this guy is treasonous. He's been trying to kill us. He's been talking with foreign powers, and he's trying to get, you know, foreigners to, to rule us and stuff. They they killed him. They became a republic in England. They're the, the, right there on that spot. And because they created the first government that was going to be run by the people, they had to be so heavily just destroyed and put down by the deep state, which is exactly what happened in the following years. Let me grab that place for myself. Right. So uh, the first thing that happened was they targeted the independent banks because that was the strength of England in, this, in the 17th century. They're trading with the whole world. They had a lot of independence. And the deep state, which essentially was a bunch of different um, religions and military orders around the world, had to deal with them when they wanted to deal with money. So uh, to, to, to destroy the bankers of England in the 17th century, it was absolutely necessary to do that in order to create the centralized banking system that they wanted. Um, that had to shatter that independence. The first thing that they did was, um, uh, let's see, it was Charles II, when he came back into power, he um, he uh, took a bunch of um, loans on the, on the gold that went up to 10%. And he did this uh, very carelessly, overspending a great deal of money so that when it was time to pay that money back, he then referenced an old law passed by parliament that said you can't, charge usury past 6%, um, they had a cap on, on usury. And because of this one uh, this one loophole, uh, the, the um, par- um, Charles II using parliament against the people, saying, you guys passed this law, and now I'm using this law against you, essentially, he, he all at once destroyed the independence of the, um, the goldsmiths of England and created a... Um, a a government-backed bank, the Bank of England, that was had the authority of the church and the right to charge usury in all shapes and forms. So this right. one moment was very significant because mm. this this form of banker usury then spread all over the world and and caused you know the banking crises that we know today. 
yeah, yeah. All, fractional reserve planned. lending and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Right, it, all, it was all planned here. So in order to get this down the throats of the British, who, like I said, in the Civil War, they lost a good chunk of their people, 20% of their people, just to get Charles I out of power. And then Charles II comes in and just, you would think that Charles II would be a lot more modest and be afraid of losing his head, but he, he's acting like a tyrant right away. Uh, right, right after this gold bank, uh, goldsmith thing uh, was successful, and it's, and to me that says that he was being puppeted by the deep state for sure. Like so much to the point that he wasn't even afraid of his own, you know, health anymore. He was like he was willing to get killed by these peasants by doing this, and they're just promising, "Don't worry, we'll protect you and stuff." So here's how the deep state protected him. Uh, what they're what they're trying what they needed to do was strike the fear of God into these. Um, British Protestants who have become so unruly resisting the Russian Empire for so many years that they've become essentially independent. That's why they, they formed the Republic in the first place. They, they, they said they're done with the church and they really want to rule by public rule. So the deep state, in order to reverse that, they planned an apocalypse. Year 1666 was coming up, which actually, since they added a thousand years to the timeline, was really the year 666. And there was many authors at the time who were saying... It, it, it was a, a lot of apocalyptic literature at the time that was suggesting that there must be another apocalypse coming because that's how God created the world in the first place. But actually, what they were referring to was the um, the Bible's book of Revelations, which uh, Fomenko points out very clearly. This book was redacted entirely from Russian chronicles of the 1492 conquest of Europe by the Russian horde. It was so devastating and involved disease and people associate disease with um, with unholiness. And in order to get holy, you had to go to church and be clean, get baptism with water. That's where a lot of these rituals came from. So in 1666, a lot of people were just expecting something to happen again. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that happened was the uh, Great Comet, 1664. And this is pretty remarkable because this is one of the biggest comets seen for it's in, in 100 years, mm. lasting much longer than comets usually last. It lasted over 80 days. Wasn't and there the some first old 50... art, artwork depicting this comet as well? Didn't? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought there was. And, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, for a while there, I thought that the comet might be something else. But then I read the story, and the comet was a big deal. It was approaching Earth for 50 days, getting bigger and bigger every single day. And you could see why people had just become extremely anxious of, over that. Mm. Um but then it receded for 30 days, and it was very weird timing. And so my speculation is, it was a huge coincidence, or someone on Mars knew exactly how to do this. I wouldn't think it would be very hard to do, to knock up a, a meteor into the sky. We're not talking about a big meteor; we're talking about um, a couple meters long. That's what they said it was, maybe even longer than that. I don't think it'd be very hard to time that and shoot it into space. But that's speculation. The point yeah. is, it happened, and it scared the f out of the British. Right before the next thing that happened, the Great Plague of 1665, which, again, was very suspicious. Uh, it started in a butcher's um, kit. Uh, it, it started in an area that was run by the uh, royalty. It was, in their, their, it was in the poorest district, but it was like a butcher that, that ran for the royalty. So a lot of people suspected him of just having poisoned the food. Uh, again, more, more suspicions of Jews. Of course, there were no Jews in England because they had been banished a long time ago, but the accusations still came, you know, the monotheists, the religious class, they're doing this to us because they're trying to convince us that we're sinners and they're trying to take over. Right, the British yeah. weren't stupid. They, they were they were saying this about the religious class. Um, 
so the the plague was devastating and it wiped out 30,000 people and um it was mostly a result of how the the um city of london was designed a big wall around a river there was no real good exits uh, not not much good air flowing and um the next big um you know thing to happen as a result of the bad flow of of air and inability to get to water was the london fire and i'm sure most people have heard about this one yeah um this one was was uh, pretty well known um again it was blamed on the royalty because it happened in a um in a uh, <clears throat> blacksmith's blacksmith shop i believe that worked for the royalty so there was a trial at later and they actually hung a guy for having started the fire but actually if you look on um a lot of british literature you'll about this um london fire you'll see that the british still disagree about that that no there was no conspiracy there was no trial even that no it was just a fire that's what they insist is the case because if you know british people you'll see that they're extremely stuck up about their history they mm. they either accept it exactly the way it is or they live outside of london and they're more sane and they they basically don't believe much of it at all <laughs> um, because london Londoners have a really specific version of say you know the revolutionary war in america and so forth so this is one of their their big disagreements um but outside of London, a lot of people blame this moment for being the moment that the British snuck in a lot of canon laws, a lot of stuff that would that would rule people in ways that they didn't know they could be ruled, like as as property of the state. And people would then have birth certificates and all these things that they would sign when they go to hospitals uh, from then on that they didn't really understand the meaning of. A lot of people today are insisting that these birth certificates and citizenship and all these these terms that we're so familiar with today are really just uh, uh, merchant tactics that these British started in this moment of, of great advantage to utterly control the people in London from then on. Yeah, never, which, never let um, a good crisis go to waste, eh? Exactly. <laughs> so whether or not whether it happened back then or not, it was it changed everything and. Mm. From that moment on, the deep state would be able to repeat what they have had in London with all the poverty and the usury and, and the disease even and spread it all over the rest of the world, especially in New England areas uh, um, where it took out you know, a lot of Native Americans and so forth. This is all a plan because the deep state saw how effective disease was to rule people. I mean, just look at modern day. Look what they try to do with, with uh, the virus, the pandemic. They basically they try to do exactly what they did in the past, exactly the same way scare us into submission, yep. kill off a good section of the population. You know, it's population control anyway. They're trying to reduce the numbers and so forth. Yeah. And so in London, I do believe that they have experienced just the worst of the worst early on before the rest of the world did. And this wasn't the last thing either. I, I think London has a lot of weird history in it. Um, uh, to jump a little bit away from Earth, my favorite book, War of the Worlds, my favorite sci-fi book, um, I've... I'm sure I've told you many times, I stopped believing it's fiction. I believe it's just redacted. Like it's been a certain details hidden, but more or less it's a true story. Mm. And that a lot of the facts that we see in that story about uh, tripods showing up in London, gassing everyone and sort of reasserting control of the region, disappearing all of a sudden, leaving humans in charge, um, probably is what they've been having to do for a long time to reassert deep state control over regions of Earth. Mm. These tripods have appeared in America, they've appeared in Spain, and in modern days, after the tripods weren't necessary anymore, um, in the 20th century, late second half 20th century, it's all been flying saucers, right? Yeah. 
Mm. But where was the first flying saucer? The first mention of a flying saucer in literature was in the book War of the Worlds, which somehow H.G. Wells was able to predict lasers and flying saucers when no such thing allegedly existed. It's because it was a real story. The Londoners had experienced these tripods, um, you know, gassing uh, the population and then trying to assemble a giant flying saucer right there in London, which they failed to build. It says in the book they failed to build it, and the London um, Secret Service essentially came and took all the pieces of this great flying saucer and hid it in a in, in a safe place. At which point they put up a giant tri- uh, tri- several giant tripod statues in London, um, at the, you know, in memory of the event. Well, there is still one statue in Woking that's still there now. It just doesn't look anything like they used to look. It actually looks like the Jeff Wayne um, album. War of the Worlds, which they had a complete revision of all of these tripods, and they look like giant bugs now. Do you have and an image that of that? Statue. We can, I can screen yeah. share my um, shots. You type in uh, Jeff Wayne, War of the Worlds, in Google. You'll find it all over the place. And you can also try to find tripod in London. Tripod statue in London. Uh, J-E-F-F? Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, listening to this album. I'm a big fan of, the, of these books, but I never considered this to be real possible stories until oh, yes, the last course. couple of years. I know that image, yeah. Right. So there's an actual statue of this in London. You can look up the statue. And it's just curious to me because the book mentions the statue also. And and then finally, we all know that there's a British secret service that spied on the world throughout, throughout the entire 19th, um, sorry, it's the entire 20th century specifically, that they're in, Lon- they're in, in India and that they created the, the big, um, the civil wars there and then they sort of um, partitioned India into Pakistan in 1949. They partitioned Palestine into Israel in 1948. Um, and, and, uh, and and it's like, where did all these secret agents come from that sort of took over the world? Was there really a British empire? Did they ever have any kind of British influence? No. They didn't build any buildings anywhere in the world uh, in their British empire. All those buildings that they have in London, those are neoclassic or classic building architecture from the Russian empire. Um, and so the 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 so-called British Empire never really existed. It was just a, it was the British taking over everything after the 19th century Great Reset from the French, who was who were in charge of the world in the 18th century, and um, and and essentially keeping a secret service of secrets worldwide in order to maintain all of these various uh, redacted religions that they've perpetuated, mm. um, that the Jesuits had created, and now they're 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 telling all these people these regions. This is your religion. You're Buddhist. You're Hindu. You're, um, you know, you're American. Um, you're Native American. You know, spiritualist. Native Americans used to have their own religion before uh, the colonialists kind of defeated them and gave them the religion we know today, where they're dancing around in feathers and stuff. Yeah. Those, yeah. those dances. That that's something that the colonialists wanted them to do as their subjects. And the original images of the feathers and all that kind of stuff were part of that Mayan Central American. Um, religion, the the one that that essentially was wiped out. Um, it's not wiped out everywhere. Mexico, they have reclaimed that religion in their revolution 1910. They fought a big high revolution, and since then they're actually able to worship Day of the Dead and all of the old myths that they used to have. So anyway, not to get off topic, but um, uh, so the British essentially they had a secret service because they had secrets, and the biggest secret of all was that. They had a piece of alien technology that was available right there on the shore that they could move into secret spots, study, rebuild all kinds of stuff. 
also mentions in the book they tried to build um a heat ray and they blew themselves up and they gave up <laughs> yeah i believe all the yeah i believe all these stories because if you want to hide a technology from the people the first thing you have to do is have some kind of giant um disaster so that everyone's hurt and will say oh no we'll never do that again like chernobyl you know or, or three mile islands they, they right. do these things on purpose to scare us into submission it's just like the disease it's just a different form they say radiation is dangerous but truth about radiation is not dangerous it's a the energy from radioactive material gives you a great deal of energy. And it's very healing. But if you use all of that energy in a uranium reactor, or sorry, in a nuclear reactor, it becomes depleted, right? Depleted uranium, mm-hmm. depleted plutonium. And, and guess what? That stuff's used in weapons, right? Yeah. So yeah. that stuff is very dangerous. And you're, if you're around it, you're very in danger. So they're able to convince everyone that all radiation is dangerous because they showed us the depleted uranium. It's just science tricks. Um, when there's many scientists that would insist that you can eat, you know, you can eat toxic waste and be just fine because it's not depleted yet. It's um, it's just uh, you know, it depends on if the the electrons are producing energy for you or sucking energy out of the environment, which is what right. depleted uranium does. Anyway, so back to the point. Um, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists who talk about UFOs, they talk about Roswell as the first time that um, that uh, any humans were able to access um, alien technology, but to, that conclusion is so short-sighted when you factor in how the Nazis definitely had flying saucers, like the, the Nazi 30s, build. 40s. Yes, and the, and the Spanish did too. That's where they were built. So the Roswell Act, uh, which happened later, um, was obviously just one of those in our military that crashed because our military makes mistakes. And the proof is that <clears throat> the farmer who had the flying saucer regretted ever telling anyone about it because the military showed up, took it, told them to shut up about it, and everyone went away. So the only reason anyone would act that way is because this is their technology. The British gave the Americans some of this flying saucer technology. How'd they do it? First, the British sponsored the Vril Society in in um, Nazi Germany, and the Vril Society was meant to take over the world. Like I, like I was saying earlier, the Jews got this reputation for being in charge of all the regions in charge of money and so forth. And even though they were, it was a lot of hard work and they did it for a lot of legitimate reasons, the, when the Russian Empire was destroyed and erased, a lot of people got confused. They didn't know where these Jews came from and why they they seemed to be everywhere. Even in America, um, the uh, the uh, Spanish have a word for mosque that they had when that was already here when they showed up. When the Spanish conquistadors showed up in America, they found mosques. The Jews were already here. Um, and they looked exactly the same as Muslims. Uh, like I said, in the 17th century, that was the first time that the uh, the Protestants were able to split all these religions into separate people and convince them, you're Islam, you're you're uh, of the Quran, you're Jewish, you get um, the Old Testament, and you have to deny Christ. That's who you are, you know. And you Christians, you focus on the New Testament, um, but you, none of you agree on the New Testament. But all of you agree on the Old Testament. You know, these are just tricks. To make all of the religions of the world monotheistic and re- and respect the Old Testament as verbatim as written, so uh, so yeah, nineteenth century, um, <clears throat> essentially the um, the British were not really trying to rule the world. They were, as you can see, in the sixteenth seventeenth century, what they were put through to be forced into submission themselves. That is the reason why they're granted. Uh, world domination in the 19th century because 
the deep state can trust anyone else in the world. They, they already failed trusting the French, who failed to uh, defeat um, the Russia. And they made the exact same mistake with Hitler, who uh, they decided were, was going to do this world domination plan, take all, all of this power away from the Jews, um, and create a new religion that was in competition with the Jews. Uh, why? Because uh, the Thule society, the... the um, society that created the religion of the Nazis already believed many things um, like like Christ was never of the King David bloodline, like I mentioned. They insisted that he was of the Aryan bloodline. And that was a big deal with the Nazis to try to reclaim Christianity on a completely different level from what the Protestants were suggesting. The Nazis weren't big fans of the Protestants, Catholics, or any of those people. Well, they allowed they allowed them in their, their thing, in their, in their um, country. They didn't persecute them, but they but um, they were not fans. And um, the point was that the deep state was betting on Hitler to be able to finally defeat Russia, defeat that old Christian empire, and replace the world uh, usury scheme with a new religion. The Nazis are just going to take it over and run the world exactly the same way, like they did in Africa and Casablanca and stuff. They didn't, they didn't demonstrate any differences from how the British operated, and they wanted to do stuff. So um, the only thing that went wrong is that the Nazis were so undisciplined that they failed to defeat um, to, to defeat um, Stalin in Russia. Um, they got nowhere there, and mm. the, uh, the deep state had to completely reset their plans once again. Um, they put the Jews back in charge of the world. Um, they they had the West turn on Hitler. We were all we were supporting Hitler 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's that's evident just by going back and looking at old Time magazine front covers. You know, he was the man of the year and stuff, you know. (laughs) The world loved him. Yeah, yeah, we we named Philadelphia after him, you know, the city that loves Adolf. Hmm. And they'll deny it to this day. They'll say, no, we didn't. Brotherly love. Come on. (laughs) This this is just a deep state tactic because since they failed in their world domination plan, they had to set up the other side of of the fight, the people that they were trying to genocide in the Holocaust, the same people that they were targeting, they put them back in charge of the world after the hit, after the Nazis lost. Now, how can they possibly do this? This is it's because this was never a fight between Christians and Jews or religion and religion or people or race or anything like that. This was an internal dispute between the deep state families. And at the very center of their family, they have their own monotheistic religion, which they all accept as true, and they hide completely from the rest of us. And so one of my claims is that Hitler was not only Jewish, a lot of people already believe that, but he was also homosexual. And the reason for this is because the Rex Bellator plan, and please look it up after, spelled out exactly how this world domination scheme under religion is going to work. Uh, the Spanish, they, they said it all in their literature as they're doing it. The edict of Spain was really harsh, you know, against the Americans. We're going to, you know, subject your children to this religion if you don't obey us and so forth. So the Nazi Germany, they're following the Rex Bellator plan. Rex Bellator, warrior king, that person is meant to be in charge of the entire world religious military order. And it spells out in the plan that he must be a widow or single. That's what it says. It took me a little bit of thinking to realize why. Mm. It's because if you're an alien or whoever trying to run Earth, and you're going to put one person in charge of the whole current you know, um, invasion that you're planning, you better be able to control that person. Uh, Napoleon was very under control. Hitler was very under control. We know he he had uh, drug problems and he had to do yeah. drugs every day. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. Zelensky, 
yeah, perfectly. Example, such a puppet, but also drug problems. Again, we've seen mm. much of recent videos of Zelensky. He was like in a meeting. You know, it's like, oh, geez, having withdrawal right there in the meeting. Yeah, he's a so Zelensky's under. Yeah. Right, and we never see his wife or hear about his wife. Mm. So Hitler's wife, Eva Braun, mm. she, it, we know her story, right? She uh, didn't want to be with Hitler. She shot herself in the chest to try to avoid being marrying with this guy. That's how much she disagreed with what he was doing and what he, what his plan, his movement meant. They didn't have any women on their side in Nazi Germany. Women mostly stayed indoors throughout the the ten years of their reign. And after the Nazis were defeated, the women still stayed indoors. They basically didn't trust men anymore. That's how bad the Nazi regime was on their psyche. So that spelled that to me. That's the Rex Bellator plan again. Every single time we've tried to do a war to attack Russia, 1812 war, which is World War Zero, uh, should be called World, World War One, right? Mm. And then World War One, which uh, you know Germany attacks France, and then um, and then uh, entangling alliances, they all attack Russia. Russia loses a great deal of territory and people in World War One, but they don't. They, but World War One fails, and they don't get all of it. So they have mm. to they have to reset and, and start another plan under Hitler, who who the, the Germans say, no, we're not going to let you do that again. They throw Hitler in jail. That's you know, that's the evidence that the Germans did not want Hitler or the Nazis to take over. But the deep state sponsored Hitler. They got him out of jail. I don't think he wrote Mein Kampf, mein Kampf because Mein Kampf is just another version of the Rex Bellator plan, I guess. Just like, here's what I'm going to do. Take over those infidels over there in Russia. <laughs> you know, Hitler hated the Russians so much. And it's because the Russians used to be the Jews that people think that he hated the Jews. But a lot of people say, well, he, he had some Jewish relatives. He might have been Jewish himself. That's because he was a Western Jew. He was Sephardic side. He was Protestant Jew. And those guys were a, a very different nature, a different religion, like I said. And um, they hated, uh, just like the Protestant Christians, everything about Russia and the origin of where they came from. So, yeah, uh, I do believe that Hitler was not um, a ladies' man. He was somebody that the the deep state knew they could control because he was homosexual. And um, that's not offensive to homosexuals or anything. It's just um, the stigmas of the time is that no woman would ever marry a homosexual because they, they would just know that they would become a laughingstock and no one would trust them. And they couldn't build that kind of base for a political movement, for sure. And, and Hitler's political movement, a lot of people agree, should not have worked. It should have failed completely. But they did a lot of intimidation and false flag attacks. And and they had the real thrill society uh, back in them and the Americans, like I said, espionage. And, and finally, like I said, the, the British Secret Service were all over Germany planning things. And they were providing that drill society. That's their entrance into Germany with the flying saucer technology. Hitler was supposed to use this flying saucer technology to win the war. They built a bunch of them, but they could not figure out how to make them you know, effective. And the biggest problem was if you if you have one crashed in Russia, they're going to grab it. They're going to build their own. So they... This plan was stupid, and, and then whoever planned it should have known the flying saucers were a bad idea. And, and, and right after Hitler lost, we hit all the saucers. Now we're not supposed to talk about the saucers anymore. And anyone in America or England that talks about saucers gets thrown in the loony bin. A lot of people disappeared into those uh, those uh, concentration camps that we have here, you know, like FEMA camps and stuff for the for the crazies, uh, lunatics, right? That's what yeah. the original the official term is because they don't believe in the official story of the moon, et cetera. Yeah, so, Luna being moon, yeah. So uh, that's where we're at now. We're, um, the uh, Rex Blatter plan is trying one more time to succeed. The deep state has no other way of moving forward. They have to move forward, and they have to keep receiving reports from their millions of constituents 
reporting to them that the plan is going well and everything's going well. And don't worry, we're, we're attacking Russia. We're playing a big counteroffensive. And, you know, but you can see how, how, how just um, undisciplined these invasions of Russia really are and how disciplined the Russians are in response that, that this was all predictable. People 70 years ago predicted this is exactly how mm. this is all going to end. So the deep state mm. has no other plans left. This is their last plan. They just wanted to try to make it work one more time. And maybe with some new technology or some, you know, a lot of Western support or something, there's a lot of key players that saw this plan and understood the religion behind it. Um, the um, One of them was Trump. Not that he himself came up with anything that he did. He had a lot of people telling him what to do, but he um, came up with that um, Abraham Accords with uh, Middle Eastern countries and Israel. And Abraham, Abraham Accords specifically spells out why how we're going to avoid fighting a religious war in the Middle East. So the ISIS thing that should have ballooned into a major World War III incident that then spilled over into Russia, which was the way that they were planning to attack Russia, evaporated. There was no ISIS by the time the Ukraine yeah. situation happens. It's funny, and, that, that, um, just, that just exited the, the, the vernacular, the, like, the lexicon. Yeah. No one talks about that at all, anymore. It's right. gone. And it was, it was so simple. <laughs> it, was because, it was because Benjamin Netanyahu and Trump, who were in power at the time, they, they got together, they shook hands and said, we're going to do this unified thing. Don't worry about us. It was all messaging. It was all coding. At the same time, they started doing heavy attacks on ISIS. And the big the big hook of all of this was that America and Britain were, were planning ISIS. That, that was our operation. So we're attacking our operation. You know, we're, we're attacking our own assets. It got really confusing under the Trump administration for our military. And they, with all of their... They're monkeying around like Trump in Syria. A lot of people don't get that whole thing with oil. How Trump keeps saying, we're keeping the oil, 80% of it. We're keep leaving the military there to keep the oil. And a lot of people think, you know, this is tyrannical and it's not really like Trump to do, but they're doing it for a reason. They're keeping Syria out of the war, which that was also planned. Mm. And um, and by, by um, forcing them into a corner, essentially, saying that they're not a threat to us anymore. We got military there. And by, avoid, by doing all these things... Trump and Bibi and a bunch of other people ruined the deep state's plans for World War III in the Middle Eastern region. The Ukraine region, they had no problems continuing the plan because there are a bunch of Nazis up there. They have a bunch of Nazi symbols, you know, I'm not just saying that. Yeah. And they hated the Russians their whole lives and they jump up and down. If, if you're a Muscovite, you're not jumping up and down and stuff. And it's really intimidating stuff and tie people to poles and ugh, don't even want to get into the yeah. kind of the, uh, documentaries that are coming out in RT recently. But um, they were the only ones that really. We're, we're still gun ho for this thing. And the only thing the rest of the world can do is send them a bunch of weapons and tanks, which they tried to use against a far more superior army. The Russians have been fighting wars for 800 years. They're not about to be defeated by a bunch of uh, children who are essentially coming there and volunteering to fight. You know, this was a disaster. And the West thought that they could angle even a disaster to their victory. If it, maybe if enough Ukrainians and volunteers died, you know, they've lost tons of people lost many hundreds of thousands and the Russians have to sit there and sort of, you know, shoot them all and say, sorry guys, we have no choice but to kill, you know, hundreds of you guys every day. Maybe at some point they would win that Western support to do that final victory. But as you can see now with recent events, the counteroffensive was a complete disaster and nobody wants to fight anymore in that country. Everyone's talking about um, what's it, what it's going to take for peace and, and the United States is like, wow, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're still thinking we're going to win this war. You know, we're still going to support them to the very end and stuff. We're acting crazy under the Biden administration. And yeah, so the whole world knows sure. that this is going to take one more presidential election, 
to basically stop the war. You know, we're going to be kind of active for the next two years. And then even even the Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's come out of nowhere, he's a total controlled opposition agent. Um, he's come out of nowhere and he's attacking vaccines. And it's, you know, wow, I never heard a politician start doing that. But he's also attacking the war. Do we need to be in Ukraine? So it's nice to hear that from a Democrat. One way or another, we all know that um, it's going to come down to one thing. The, uh, the deep state uh, does need to try to run Biden again. There is no other Democrats to run, and they can't get a Republican to do their, their stuff. So um, they're going to try to puppet a bunch of um, Democrats in the primary, uh, you know, to, just like they did last time, and they're going to fall for Biden. And on the Republican side, it's going to all come down to Trump because DeSantis is just becoming a huge disaster, and there is no one else. But um, I'm, I'm going to give you a prediction. I do believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to come out of nowhere, and she's going to join the primary after saying many times that she thinks only Trump can win in 2024. I do believe she's going to join the primary, and she's going to beat Trump. And it's not because of any defining quality of her or lack on Trump, but because of one thing. Trump came from the deep state. The Republicans know that you know, all of our all of our presidents for a long time have come from the same families in the deep state. Mm-hmm. And the ones that aren't have been mitigated into the corner. Like maybe Ronald Reagan was a real guy, but you know they sort of um, they sort of uh, neutralized his uh, his career. And they did the exact same thing with uh, Trump. They, they neutralized his ability to be president. So because he wasn't doing their bidding. So there is no one else to run for president, which sounds kind of weird, except for maybe the one person who is proving herself capable and only because she's doing so much work in the House right now. If you follow her work, she investigated the Biden family. Finally, finally, someone's done that. Mm-hmm. She proved that there was connections between CCB and the administration before the administration, that they're taking bribes for for geopolitical purposes and that, and that they're a huge security threat. So. Uh, the only problem is the House doesn't have the ability to prosecute right now. They only have the ability to investigate. Um, they need to get the presidency and maybe some more power in the Senate, and then they can finally start going after these guys in lawsuits. But I don't think that's even necessary. I think right now what she's doing to expose all of them, and not just crime, but um, you know, stuff with the vaccines, stuff with Ukraine spending, mm. um, everything. She's exposing everything, in my mind, puts her in a position to be a serious contender. And once the Republicans realize that they're going to have to allow Trump to go down with the ship that he came from, they're going to see the real silver lining of this plan. If we can get a real person, a real, it doesn't have to be Republican, but a real of the people person into the, into the American presidency, then world peace, then that's it. We're in a, in a uni, no more unipolar world run by America's whims, uh, multipolar, and literally everyone's saying, like on RT, got a bunch of commenters saying, we're going to see everything change, like fast. Everything will be fixed. Money problems will just go away. War will go away. Disease will go away. That kind of thing. Mm. And it's like, it's like, how could that possibly be the case? Well, um, the reason why I'm saying that Trump needs to go down with the ship is because they have one big problem with him still. He had to sign off on the vaccine um, program, even though he created his own vaccines, which were okay. They took the program from him, and they pushed the Pfizer ones, and now we're in the pickle we're in. Mm. Um but then they went, you know, in the last two years, they kept going back to him and saying, hey, so do you regret your decision? And he said, no. Every single time they've asked him to this day. Yeah, I know. He we, says, yeah, I was wondering why. Right. So it, these are big clues. There's a couple other things like that. The Syria thing, like I mentioned, his move to Jerusalem and Israel, which is going to inflame tensions there, um, the, the embassy to, to Jerusalem. Um, these things actually have downsides to them, geopolitical downsides. They're going to bite him in the ass someday. 
and for them to not come and affect us, America and the rest of the world, in a negative way, he's going to have to go down. And and, um, and so the people that trust him so much right now, they're only doing it because they're they're falling for the whole savior myth. A lot of them are Christians, and some of them are not, but they, <clears throat> all of us, we're so easily looking for that savior. Maybe we can find that one guy, you know, like, um, like uh, who's that one British guy? Oh, Forget all my names. Um, not Peterson. Um, just name any conspiracy theorist. Nigel uh, Peterson. Not Peterson. Um, what's his name? <sighs> Nigel Farage. Um, He's not so bad. I like him. There's this one guy that's really famous. Jordan that, um, Peterson. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Ah, okay. But, uh, um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> not David Icke. <laughs> yes, thank you. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> you got. It. We've had him on so, the show uh, before. <laughs> right. So um, kind of lost my thought there. Um, that Trump's going to have to go down because essentially he was always a controlled opposition agent. He might have turned on the creature that created him, but um, he wasn't able to do all of this good that he did in the context of being from the deep state. Um, he won't be able to repeat that in a second administration. If he becomes president again, um, look at his family. His family hates him. You know, his wife doesn't like any of the things he's done. She, she says so many times. His, his cold administration betrayed him. Mike Pence betrayed him. I mean, geez, that deep state is so murky mm. that you can't really, you can't really just put a good guy in there. It just gobbles him up, right? Mm. So, he is a good a person as he is, or whatever you want to believe about him. He doesn't have the ability to do it, and he didn't have it in the first administration. We all know that he was neutralized. He he wasn't allowed to do everything. He wasn't allowed to build the wall, right? It was only going to cost five billion, and they spent, you know, what, 120 billion on Ukraine, five billion for a wall, and now we have an invasion. <laughs> so a president not allowed to build a wall means that our republic is suffering from an inability for our public to to have a final say in what we want. Mm. And they're sort of giving us this illusion that that's that's not what we're saying. They're telling us our own polls, and they're stealing the elections. Everyone that's really looking at this yeah, election fraud that. knows yeah. knows that they're stealing elections around the world. Just another religion, just another faith um, ploy. And um, yeah, so um, to fix this, we couldn't have, say, what some of the conspiracy theorists would like. None of them really offer many good solutions anyway. Um, anarchy, just throwing out the government and starting over. That's what the deep state wants. They want us to go to anarchy so they can start really starting to rule us. Mm-hmm. But as, as we're all supposedly following the law and order right now, they have to also... And they have to also pretend like they're not trying to genocide us or do any population control or anything like that. And so we have this advantage to sort of force them into compliance with the rules that already exist. And anyone that's looked at the Trump administration knows that the precedents set by Trump and Biden were so crazy that we that they almost destroyed the presidency. We almost don't have that branch anymore. All those powers have been, um, you know, subsumed by the other two especially the the judicial branch the judges are crazy these days mm. the supreme court seems to be split on stupid stuff um they used to be conservative and now it's hard to tell so um to restore the um to restore the legitimacy of the only republic on earth that still exists in america um like all the other ones i said were smashed um and to restore the presidency in that republic we're going to have to maintain all the rules that we have, all the shitty rules that are keeping us down and keeping the federal government in charge and giving them too much power until we finally have 
good people replacing those judges and those politicians because believe me those life termers they're not gonna leave no and they have to be exposed and nobody has done that but green and everyone's talked about doing it and everyone's like lock up hillary hillary doesn't matter hillary is a major gate you have to go open up the gate and go behind her to all of the many thousands of people who actually committed the crimes and are puppeteering her mm-hmm. a lot of these um a lot of these conspiracy people don't get that even john john f robert f kennedy jr you know, who's who's going to start a crusade against vaccines and vaccine injury doesn't really get how to solve the problem and he's going to he's going to almost create a new problem just by by telling everyone how bad it's been he's going to cause like a civil war to occur between those that still believe in the vaccines and believe me those guys will always exist and they're the ones who are in charge and the rest of us and we don't want that kind of thing so that's why that's what my prediction is based on. Okay. It's kind of funny if you're if you're a betting person, you might want to look at the betting sites who um, always list the presidential candidates and their likelihood, and that's because a lot of them know that a lot of this is pre-planned. But guess what? Green is not on any of the sites. Not last time I checked. So if you were to if you were to make a bet on her, and they got some really out there people. They got Elon Musk, and they got you know Kanye West, <laughs> and you know they they got some high numbers on the bets, uh, but they don't have Green on there because she hasn't declared. I guess that's why, right? Oh, but so if, you were if to she's, she at one point or someone says that she's going to run, then um, we'll see what happens in terms yeah. of what she's paying. <laughs> yeah, if the primary's over and, I, and she doesn't run at all, then I'm a to- I am totally off. Maybe she's waiting another four years. But, yeah, I, I totally see that coming. And mm. if she does get the presidency, everything will change. Mm. This is what we should have had with, with Sarah Palin. She's exactly like Sarah Palin, yeah, who was right representative of the people. She's folksy. She's not from a deep state. And it's so hard to get someone like that into power we saw what happened to sarah palin she was betrayed by john mccain somebody that she trusted a great deal yeah, so yeah. there's almost no fighting big deep state man that one well yeah there's almost he's no dead fighting now him. so yeah yep uh, all his loose ends tied off and gone <laughs> mm. well well um i know we uh, took a bit of a tangent there and stuff but um yeah i see what you're saying with in terms of you know the way this is the, you know, the end of the last big invasion and all that sort of stuff and who's going to put a stop to it and all that. So it does, it of course all ties into where we are right now <laughs> in, uh, in our times uh, at the moment. But um, yeah, it's just, uh, just <laughs> fascinating yeah. stuff where it all, where that's it a bit all rambly, from. Sorry. No, I'm that's okay. kind of out of practice, but uh, yeah, there's just, it is fascinating. That's the bottom line. Well, that's we, what I'm into it, it helps to know where, where all the past stuff happens and then where it all and and why we're at where we right, are now. Right. So it kind of ties in. Yeah, it's good to have that little tie in at the this, end. This there. is my hope. Yeah, this is my great hope is that somebody way better than me does this thing, but better to a point that it can be shown to a kid. Because at this point, everyone on earth deserves to know our history. If Absolutely. not just the history of their, their own location, but the rest of it too. And if it can be condensed so simply for a kid, then I think someone does you know, someone should do that. They deserve to get that version. Instead, right now, they have the Bible. And, and no one says that the Bible is too complicated for kids. But if you read the Bible, it is not kid material. It's adult stuff. In fact, they have to lie a great deal about the Bible and the Garden of Eden and stuff just to get it into a kid's book. They're not going to talk about, you know, the, the cheer up guardian of the gate with the flaming sword in his mouth and stuff like that. They're not going to talk about that stuff with kids. So the point is that they do try to, to make this stuff for kids. And it's just it's about time that we all finally stop fighting over history so that the next generation, you know, can receive their history in a way that they can consume it, not in tiny pieces, yeah. Yeah. not not well, learned over twelve years, nothing like that. Look at what the you know the system does now. It targets children now in uh, in terms of brainwashing them to believe whatever the story is that they've got. You know what I mean? So 
yeah, the, the children are the key. If they can grow up realizing that everything that we've learned is a lie and that everything else um, has a lot more to do with with how things actually are, then um, you know they'll be they'll be better for it. You know, they can they can still have the stuff pushed on them, but they'll be sitting there going. I know the real truth, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know what's and, really going on. <laughs> and they'll be taught also that there's no definitive authority on any of this. This is an alternate history. They should learn all of the possibilities, and they should make up their own minds. No one should yeah. be t- talking to them as an authority. That is a priest, yeah. and it's about time that we displace the priest. Well, I, I like, I just like what you've done with the website, mate, and, and this sort of alternate um, history timeline stuff, because yeah, you know, you're taking everything, all these little bits and pieces of of history from the past, um, and you know that we're taught of a, of a causality. Yeah, we're taught we're taught we're taught of a particular version of this, and like and like oh, there's this book, and it's because of this, and then there's another piece over here. Oh, this is because of this, and this is because. Of, but then you've gone well, that actually doesn't fit with this. They actually fit with another version, and you know all these other little bits and pieces tend to line up a lot more, a lot more easily. It's like they were, yeah, you know, history was just. Like a, like a history was a plate and it's just been smashed by the rules and they've gone into a thousand pieces everywhere, and then you're sitting here going, "Well, this piece goes here and this piece goes." Yeah. You know, whereas <laughs> modern people it's have exactly. gone, "Well, it wasn't a plate. It was it was this. It was a mosaic of something." And you're going, "No, no, it, it was a plate. Here, I'll show you." And you're you're putting it all back to where it was. You know, um, right. yeah. it's just like a puzzle. Um, every piece has to point directly to the piece on all sides of it. That's it right. can't just be taught in pieces. You have to be able to move to the next country over and see what they're up to in the same year. And they don't yeah. teach history like that. They certainly do not. Um, I'll just quickly touch back once again. Here we go. Uh, so again, just for the listeners out there, there's um, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of reading to do, but it's not boring reading. It's very interesting stuff. And because a lot of these bits and pieces, you know, you'll recognize certain pieces of imagery, certain pieces of artwork. There's, you know, maps, there's books, there's art, uh, paintings, there's um, images of uh, ancient artworks and stone carvings and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, you know, when you actually learn about what it really means, it it, it it can change you. It can change you in terms of what your old belief systems used to be, you know what I mean? So uh, it's it's important. It's very important. I mean, I like this, this stuff here with um, – and a lot of people see the Asian mythology with dragons and stuff. And they're like, oh, you know – there is no evidence of a dragon anywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's it's this mythological right. creature. Yet we see them use it so prolifically in all of their stuff. You know, um, in fact, in fact, you know, in I think in Asian, you know, the the, the Chinese calendar and stuff, the, the the only one animal on their their calendar that isn't an actual animal is a dragon on there. Um, you know, have the year of the rat, the year of the goat, the year of this, the year of that. But they've got a year of the dragon as well. You know, so. It makes you wonder why. Why is a dragon in there? You know, was it the, was it the yep. starting point to one of their calendars because they noticed what was happening in the sky at the time? You know, so of course the dragon being, you know, was it the um, the tales of Venus or whatever it is or whatever it was supposed to be? You know, all that sort of Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So and uh, and uh, <clears throat> I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh yeah, the, yeah. The dragon in China has been redacted into religion. And there's certain people in China that have been sort of put in charge of Chinese um, society at large, declaring themselves royalty that traces back to the dragon. You'll hear about the White Dragon Society. I know it's Mm -hmm. kind of mythical, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of evidence that exists and that these people believe that they descended from dragons. So I think somebody at some point lied to them, just like (laughs) the the Jesuits lied to everyone else. The Jesuits were in Sri Lanka and they sort of invented Buddhism out of uh, Hinduism and other existing 
polytheistic religions, but in order to maintain control over society, you have to tell somebody in that society that they are the descendant of the mm-hmm. god you're worshiping, and that that is necessary. That is a deep state must. And they have done that everywhere. Yeah, and here's some artwork here, some of the old, um, and th- th- that's this sort of imagery here is what you know the ancients might have seen what looked like a dragon in the sky. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. This energy flow with the tendrils coming out, which is like the you know the hair of the could, dragon and the body. And you can see in that image, it's Venus and Mars entangled because that's right. Venus has plasma sh- uh, sheaths coming out of it, but Mars has debris from its from its rings constantly breaking up and and spewing out into distance and then sucking it all back up back into Mars. Why? Because the similar degree has similar magnetic pull and Mars is more or less a magnetic planet. It's, um, it's shell breaks away and then it forms again. It's, it's, a uh, it's really remarkable. And it's described in the Prometheus story mm, when which, Prometheus, we, we went through that in one of our previous shows. That's right. Yep. Yep. When Prometheus yep. was uh, torn apart and re- rebuilt over and over and everyone on earth sort of saw this happen. Yeah. This one, would you mind just elaborating a little bit? Because I saw this earlier, and I've got, forgot. I've been meaning to ask you about the the this, the Narnia code. Everyone everyone's right. heard a book of you know the book of books of Narnia, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all that sort of stuff. Um, right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, what the basis of that was. Okay, I must unplug it again. The um, essentially, <laughs> uh, Christianity has splintered so much, and in the '60s, you had a rebirth of sort of hippie Christianity or whatever you want to call it, a sort of non-denominational, non-church-going uh, attempt at restoring Christianity. And a lot of it was based on really looking at the old um, literature and sort of saying, who are we? What did we used to believe in? It turns out Christians were polytheistic, and they they did have reference the planets a great deal. So C.S. Lewis, who is also a Christian, of course, um, said many times that his books were um, inspired by Christianity mythology. Uh, specifically, each one of his Narnia books um, are describing a planet, and the planet's nature can be described through its history. Mars has a very specific nature um, that's changed many times over many thousand years, and um, and just as much with Venus. These are characters with uh, with a huge history, a huge story, a lot of drama, a lot of you know different spines, just thousands of different mythologies. So he was able to be inspired by those stories. For these books, um, I, I don't know exactly the um, the way of translating it, but when I was looking through them myself, I did sort of um, I was starting to get an idea. Like um, <clears throat> the the uh, the characters. Well, actually, I'm not getting to because I can't remember what it's. Started, okay, but some yeah. of the characters really do line up with things that you have to wonder how, how did C.S. Lewis come up with that, or why is he depicting that? The most obvious one is the lion, of course. Lion represents the sun, and the sun is the is um. Well, actually, Jupiter, um, the line might actually represent Jupiter. Sorry to say, um, I originally thought it was the sun, but Jupiter is the one in mythology that actually died and was resurrected. And that um, is very significant because Jupiter was also betrayed by Mars. It was attacked by Mars and went into the background of the nonlinear configuration. And um, a lot of mythologies um, said, you know, Mars killed his father and married his, his mother and so forth. Um, so in, in this case... The lion was killed by by the Saturn character, the witch, and the lion knew something about himself. He knew that if he was killed on a slab, certain thing, that he um, would be resurrected. And so a lot of people just you know say, oh, this is C.S. Lewis coming up with you know 
magic mythology. But really, that is a direct reference to the Zeus uh, savior myth, mm. which was later redacted into the Christ story, of course. The people believe that Christ was killed on the cross and then was resurrected three days later in a cave. And a lot of sane people would say, no, he was just sick for three days. Come on, guys, you know, you have to necessarily die. And nobody saw him leave the cave and he went back home. So it's really, it's not so magical. So, um, so anyway, um, yeah, Narnia code can be decoded in such a way. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I love it. And that's the thing, little, little hidden things like that that are in our, um, in our artwork and our books and our, our, yeah, the literature and stuff that's around, you know, people don't realize that these are actually old school basis for um, this sort of mythology that they've, they've learned about and given us clues to, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. We read these stories as kids and these books as kids. And I, I, I remember reading some of these as a kid, you know, watch the, there was movies made of them and stuff, but you, you never talked about what the real basis of them was, you know. It's just it's yeah. just entertainment, mindless entertainment for people. But so that's what I mean. You take little examples of this and you think a little bit deeper on them and then you unlock all this other hidden meaning behind stuff. It's very interesting. Um, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up too because I think that's quite fascinating. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, that, that, we might wrap it up there, mate. Um, I'll let you go. We've done a pretty good uh, lengthy show there. We're just about two hours now. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, again, I encourage everyone to head over to um, paradigmthreat.net. Um, and this one, this particular talk we were talking about tonight was uh, under the forward slash chronology or just go to the chronology tab on his uh, list at the top there. Links will be in the show notes, of course, as always. Um, have you had, I know I know it's been a little bit while, you haven't had to put, been able to put a lot of time because you have moved, like you mentioned earlier when we first started recording. You've got, you've got a little one now, you know, you're a dad. So I know life gets in the way of these sort of things. But, um, yeah, have you, have you had any more plans? Or have you been thinking deeply about anything else you wanted to add for the, your work or anything upcoming that you wanted to work on or any other any other things you wanted to bring to the topic, mate? Um, no, I've been doing some uh, walk-around videos lately. That's why I haven't worked on this in a bit, just because um, I don't have much time on the computer these days. But um, I just kind of walk around and, and give my general thoughts on what, I think the conclusion is to many of these theories, mm -hmm. like I think other people should try to start doing that too. Even if they're wrong, they shouldn't be afraid of being wrong. I don't see enough people in this community just trying to make conclusions as to what's happening. They sort of get hung up on on, on the how part, you know, like mm -hmm. I think this is happening, but why would that be the case? And why would history have led to that? What geopolitical event leads to that? A lot of people tend to throw away stuff too much. Like even I do, like um, with the... Um, with the 1812 war, with the reset, since so many people agree on the reset, I decided there must there must have been a great opportunity to redact, to hide a lot of details about how that war went down. Um, and that may be the version of the war that we got that Napoleon lost so so broadly, 600,000 people, isn't the truth. But what I've come to, to realize is that it's so much harder to fake fake history than it is to redact the real thing. In fact, it's almost impossible. And um, I'm sure these deep state people figured this out a long time ago. You guys just show people the real thing and hide the parts that um, you need to hide. So when Napoleon lost 600,000 people, I eventually just had to decide, you know, what, just how did that happen? Um, was it because um, was it because of anything that he had done? Um, for example, the, um, the army had smashed the Sphinx, knocked the nose off that, yeah. and they may they may have burned down. You know the uh, the uh, White House in America could have been the British. Um, 
I thought that they burned down the Kremlin because they, the Protestants hated the Russians and the Kremlin so much. But actually, the, tr the, the most logical conclusion is that the, um, the Russians knew that they were about to be destroyed by a way overwhelming force. They, just, they must have destroyed their own building on purpose so that they have an opportunity to hide all of their documents all over Russia and Siberia, which is the only reason why Fomenko has all that stuff today to, to counter all this stuff. So, um, so basically, yeah, I have to accept that the version that was written more or less is the truth. We just haven't been given all the details. What was this overwhelming force? Well, Napoleon probably had airships. He probably had sound cannons. He probably had, mm, you know, advanced yeah, technologies. We talked and about probably, it too on previous right. shows, yeah. And he's probably just planning to destroy uh, the Kremlin by air. And the, the Kremlin people probably knew that. That's the reason why they destroyed their own building, because they knew there was no way for them to protect it. And the French might do something terrible to it, like turn it to a brothel or something. So um, essentially, they decided that Napoleon has to have just lost in Russia, not because... He actually lost the war, but because his army was so undisciplined and they're in a region so dangerous that they had no way of finding provisions. They had no way of maintaining order in the villages by force or threat. And where have we seen this before? We've seen this in Vietnam. We sent all those Americans over there. They, they couldn't deal with the weather. And the Vietnamese more or less just waited them out and just said, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're going to hide in the ground and wait you guys out. It seems to me that that's exactly what happened to Napoleon's army. He um, was so unpopular. He was in a place where they were so hated. He brought an army that <clears throat> was just trying to wipe out Russia and didn't know why they're there. And finally, we see the exact same thing happen in Ukraine today. All of the Ukrainians are completely undisciplined and they're just being wiped out. So this, this is part of the history repeating where, um, where it's hard to accept the facts as they are, but we actually do have a lot of reference points for why it might have ended that way. Um, Napoleon himself was was actually not very popular at all. And the only reason that the French were so atheistic and hard to control was because they had just endured that French Revolution where, where they were um, where many of them were wiped out. Many of their friends and family were, were killed in the reign of terror where they had, they had to be hung. So, so many soldiers fighting in these foreign wars, knowing that their relatives were just hung by the religious sects back in France has to be so demoralizing that, yes, they would lose catastrophically in that war, totally catastrophically. And as a result of their loss, the deep state absolutely had to to fix the plan and prepare a plan so that they can stay in, in charge. That's what they did in World War II. That's what they're doing now in World War III. And based on that reference, that's why I think they did that in World War Zero in 1812. Yeah, right. That's why I did the reset. They basically had to strike the fear of God into everyone on earth, the Russians, the French, all their vassals, the Jesuit vassals, everyone, because they're all slipping. They're all they're all seeing what the French were doing. Um, um, just really, uh, like one of the things they did, they like, turned a lot of religious sites into brothels. It was really yeah, like yeah. in your face, provocative kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it was either going to completely work for world domination or it was going to completely fail. So yeah. that, that's, the, that's the precarious position the deep state finds itself in. So, so you've been doing a lot of these little walk around videos, like, or have you done done many lately at all? Have you got a link to you can add this uh, for the show notes, so we can let people watch them at all? Or yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it'd be good. I'll, I'll add that to the show, so people can just check them out and just hear your thoughts on these sort of things and some of your conclusions and stuff. It's interesting. I mean, um, and I, I mean, I don't mind. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I'm I'm sure you're absolutely okay with people. Um, 
you know, getting into a discussion with you about why they may think it's wrong or why they agree with yes, you or, or any of that sort of stuff, you know, and, and share these sorts of things because I think we need it. We need that discussion. And like you said, not enough people are doing it because they're afraid mm. of being wrong. Afraid of being wrong. <laughs> it's, I know. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah, it's yeah, okay I know to I'm be wrong. I'm going to be wrong, man. Yeah. yeah I'm going to be wrong on a lot of things. That's okay. But, bit, even, but even, if you're, even if it's not wrong, it's, it's almost like even if this stuff that your conclusions are, are purely out of – you may have borne these out of your imagination of putting these bits and pieces together. You know what I mean? Even that's okay because you're you're even helping. You know, that that's that's actually quite good because it's creativity. You know what I mean? You're actually coming up with some of these things yourself and being creative. And creation is is an amazing thing. Even if you even if it's just a theory on something, you know, it's 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 good. It's interesting stuff. So yeah, definitely hoping to inspire somebody to do a better job. Much better well, that's it. That's that's where it can come down to. You know. I, um, I actually quite like it myself. To that a lot back before I was doing what I'm doing now, I used to work in you know, in, uh, in an office in marketing and things like this. And we'd have meetings and discussions and, and quite often, um, you know, if people are trying to come up with an idea or something, I'll, I'll just, sometimes I'll just randomly throw something on the table and they'll be like, Oh no, no, because that, that's not a bad idea because of this, this, and this. And the discussion starts because yeah, rather than people just sitting around quietly sitting there thinking and doing nothing, I, I like to just throw something in there because it gets the brain juices going, you know, <laughs> people start that's thinking it. about stuff, you know, and they'll disagree and they'll be like this and this and this. And all of a sudden, the, the um, you know, um, the information starts to flow. So it's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to throw it out there. So, and that's yeah. why I like it. I like talking with you. You got some fascinating ideas on things, and some of your theories are, hey, some of them are pretty that's out fine. there, and people might consider to be quite crazy. But um, hey, that's <laughs> fine pro- too. Prove him wrong. <laughs> yeah, please, absolutely. Please do. <laughs> All right, well, Ari, mate, we're going to leave it there. It's a good show, good solid two hours, my brother. Thank you so much for, again, spending the time. This one's going to go out to um, to all the members there. So I hope everyone um, sat back and just enjoyed the, the conversation, enjoyed uh, all the information flowing out of you, mate. It's uh, I know we did go on a few tangents here and there, but um, yeah. please feel free to go back and listen to it. And I encourage everyone, if you, if you, if you have the ability, jump on paradigmthreat.net and read along with us um, and read through a lot of this information that he's covered there. There's hyperlinks up to Wazoo. There's everything on there. There's so many links and mm-hmm. things for people to click on while they're, while they're reading, reading through this. Um, you know, but there's a lot of imagery, a lot of things you, you like to put stuff together in a visual sense as well for people to understand so that they're not just getting, being bombarded by text. You know, it's quite good. I'm a very visual person myself, so I love looking at all the images as you're going along too. It's really cool. Thank you. Um, and again, uh, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. Really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Well, let me just scan that one there. Strikes twice